Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live in the Washington, D.C. area, Saturday mornings from 9 till 10 on the following frequencies. 1500 AM, 1045 FM, 1035 FM HD2, and 1039 FM HD2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We are in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard R. Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. Richard R. Schertz, what is this all about? I don't know. It's just been, you know, working remotely. I'm just getting more, you know, more formal now. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> what, what should I call you? Is it okay if I still Doc. call you Rick or Doc, or, or should Rick, I call you, you call Mis- Doctor, Mr. Doctor, PhD? Yeah, yeah it's, I don't really ma- It doesn't really matter. Okay. Doc right. is okay. Yeah, and so the Great Chinese Firewall is descending on Hong Kong as they try to put, it's the Chinese government tries to put their grips around that city. We'll talk a bit about that. Mm-hmm. The app of the week is going to be the Microsoft File Recovery Tool, which is kind of a nice thing, and it's free. And Elon Musk is touting that he his Tesla will be fully autonomous by the end of 2020. Oh, which joy. Means, which means you don't even have to. You can just read, the, you know, watch a movie while you're driving. So we I don't, don't have to I, worry about the coronavirus and unattended, unguided missiles coming down yeah, the street. Okay, great. Right. Perfect. And the other, the other thing that's happening is that companies are now using more social media to vet employees. They're called, they call it cyber vetting. And people have been on social media during the lockdown. And if they're putting stuff up there that doesn't look good, it's affecting their, their job prospects. Wow. So we'll I know, talk I, I, I know people who've gotten themselves in a lot of trouble with this. Yeah, you've really got to watch it. This mm-hmm. week we're going to feature uh, William Daniel Hillis in Profiles in IT. He was the creator of the, you know, he founder of the Thinking Machines Corporation, which made a parallel processing supercomputer. And he was suggested actually by Bob uh, in Maryland, one of our, uh, one of our loyal listeners. Yes. And of course... It was a huge, huge mailbag. There's a letter in your mailbox. Yeah, we got an email from Bob in Maryland. Dear Doc and Jim and the incredible Mr. Big Voice. Is he still in his mom's basement? Wait a minute. I think we should check in with him live. Why, thanks, Bob. It's funny you ask. I've moved. I'm now in a treehouse in mom's backyard. Okay. Okay, that's great. Moving on up. He's moving up. He's moving up. Mm-hmm. He's at, uh, Bob goes on to say, I was just web surfing today. And uh, since being in uh, Canada for the 4th of July, uh, you know, it was kind of odd being up there for the 4th. But anyway, I went there. He said, I stumbled across the name while surfing the web, Danny Hillis, which I remember from a few decades ago, was a big guy in technology. If you haven't featured Danny in Profiles in IT, he might be a good potential candidate. Keep up the great work, you guys. Happy 4th of July. Bob in Maryland. Thanks, he sent Bob. it to us after. He sent it to us after last week's well, show. It's the thought that counts. It is the thought that counts. Well, <laughs> thanks for the feedback, Bob. And Danny Hillis is an excellent suggestion. In fact, we're going to feature him on today's show, and we've never featured him before. It was you know, a great suggestion. 
It's coincidental that Bob suggests something, and it just so happens that same week you pick that person. It's amazing. It's like it you is, and Bob are connected somehow. It is. It's absolutely amazing. We got an email from Carl Tyler. Dear Tech Talk, uh, really enjoy your observations from the bunker, <laughs> especially the one on life lessons from David Hansen, creator of Ruby on Rails. Great segment uh, on your great podcast. I hope it continues even when you're out of the bunker. <laughs> I think it's going to be a while before that happens. Yeah, just one question though. I have have you heard from Mr. Mrs. Have you heard from Mrs. Big Voice lately? <laughs> um, Haven't heard her for a long time. Never missed the podcast, Carl Tyler. It's funny. Maybe we should bring her back next weekend for a visit. Yeah, maybe so. <laughs> but she's, or maybe but not. She, her 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 voice is really painful. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for the feedback, Carl. And we might make observations from the bunker, a regular feature, even if we're not in the bunker. Well, you know, <laughs> even when you're not in the bunker and we're here together, this really kind of is a bunker. It is kind of a bunker, yeah. So it's so it could fit. We got an email from John in Baltimore. Dear Tech Talk, I turned on my computer this morning and it booted up in the safe mode instead of in the normal mode. I tried restarting it several times and it always booted to the safe mode. It's an HP laptop with Windows 10. How can I make it boot up normally? John in Baltimore. Well, John, it sounds like your system's boot settings have changed. If that's the case, it's always easy to reverse it and make it boot in the normal mode. What you want to do is hit, press two keys, the Windows key and the R key, and that will bring up the Run dialog box. And then type msconfig into the open field, msconfig, and click OK. And that will bring up a, uh, a Microsoft configuration window. Click on the boot tab, and there's something called safe boot. Just uncheck it, and then you click apply and click OK. When you restart the computer, it'll come up in the uh, regular mode. So apparently somebody just somebody changed that setting in your Microsoft config. Uh, by the way, the safe mode is a special troubleshooting mode that you can use to help diagnose and fix a wide variety of Windows issues and general computer problems. It comes in handy, especially when your computer won't boot up in the regular mode. So you can simply, as it's, if it won't boot up in the regular mode, when it's booting up, you can hit the F8 button. That will take you to, the, uh, to a choice where you can choose to boot up in the safe mode. And then, then once you get it up in the safe mode, you can, you know, restore or you can change a driver to try to fix the problem. Occasionally, I've had to use the safe mode in the past. It's a nice thing to have available. Dear, uh, we got an email from Mark in Richmond. Dear Tech Talk, I'm getting ready to buy a new computer, and my friend said I need a Mac because Microsoft designed Windows 10 to be nothing but a big spy tool. Is that true? Why would they do that? I'm perplexed. Mark in Richmond. Well, Mark, Microsoft did not design Windows 10 solely to spy on you. They designed Windows 10 to be a product that a lot of people like so they can make money selling it. But they do collect a lot of data. And that data is sent back to Microsoft. Now, now they collect it for a number of reasons. They do it to better understand how Windows users are using their machine. They use the data to hopefully make later versions of Windows easier to use and more effective. They use it to help identify bugs in their software so they can solve those problems with the next uh, patch release. They also use it to decide on which ads to deliver to you. They kind of watch you 
and then they can deliver specific ads based on what you are using. That's probably the thing that people most object to. Now, uh, if you want to limit the data that Microsoft is collecting, they've got this great tool, the Windows Privacy Dashboard. And, uh, you know, you can simply log on to it. I, I, I featured it, you know, on a previous show. Go to account.microsoft.com slash privacy. It'll bring up the dashboard. They'll ask you to log on to your Microsoft account again to make certain that you are who you are. And you can go in, you can adjust all of the parameters on what data they collect and send back to Microsoft. That is a great tool. They put all their privacy controls in one location so you don't have to go all over the place to do it. Really a good tool. We got an email from Stu in Kilmarnock. Dear Tech Talk, I recently brought a bought a refurbished Dell Optiplex 920. I really like it after using it for about a week. Unfortunately, it's an older computer that doesn't have built-in Wi-Fi. My question is, what's the best way to add a Wi-Fi adapter to the machine? Well, um, your, your computer, I'm certain, has a USB port, so your best option is to get a USB Wi-Fi adapter. And um, they're very reliable, actually. Now, what you want to do, you plug it into the USB port. I'd make certain you plug it into a USB 3.0 port. And if you look into the port, the 3.0 ports are kind of blue. The, the little horizontal tab in there is blue. So if you see the blue connector, you know that's a 3.0 port. Some computers have both 2.0 ports and 3.0 ports. They mix them. So look around to see one that has the blue connector in it because the 3.0 actually transmits at higher, higher data speed. Now, I just bought a TP-Link Wi-Fi adapter for my computer because I wanted to get better reception at the computer. Well, for Tech Talk, for instance. And I got the uh, TP-Link Wi-Fi adapter and the, uh, from Amazon. It's Archer T2U Plus. It was only $14.99. Plugs into the uh, USB port. And it's got about a, a six-inch antenna on it. So, th so it has 5 dB gain. It's it basically it so it's a it's a, it's not a, a multi-directional one it's it's sort of focused a bit so it's got five dB gain in the antenna, and it supports both 2.4 and 5.8 gigahertz, and um, and it will transmit data up to 600 megabits per second. So it actually is a better Wi-Fi adapter than I've got built into my laptop, and so I use it for my uh, my tech talk shows. Now they, it came with the CD. I was down at the Bay House. I didn't have my uh, I didn't have my CD, my USB CD reader, optical drive. So I had to go to the uh, TP-Link website and download the device driver because it didn't automatically load with Windows. But I just downloaded the device driver from TP-Link and uh, boom, worked perfectly. It took me just a few minutes. And I can switch back and forth to from Wi-Fi 1 or Wi-Fi 2. So I can go back to the, uh, to the computer's Wi-Fi or I can go using this Wi-Fi, and it's um, it's quite good now. I'm using that Wi-Fi as as I speak, actually. I'm using that TP-Link Wi-Fi adapter. We got an email from Brian in Kansas, Dear Tech Talk. I've been using inkjet printers ever since ever since I replaced my old dot matrix. Boy, it's been a while since I remember dot <laughs> matrix, Jim. Man. I'm still using one at home. And Mr. Oh, Bigfoot I... has one in the treehouse, too. Yeah, and they are loud. They yep. are loud. Mm-hmm. But I am fed up with the cost of ink cartridges. Yeah, that's that's the scam of inkjet <laughs> printers. They sell you the printer for $59, but every cartridge 
is like 29. So you got to get a, a color cartridge and a black and white cartridge. And the cartridges don't last very long. So by the time you're done, you'll have spent $300 a year on cartridges. Even And so the printer's cheap, but it's just a way to get you to buy cartridges. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a... And then they don't let you put in uh, third-party cartridges. They sort of check for this deal because it's a big moneymaker for them. It is frustrating. I hate that. So uh, he says... Can you recommend a good black and white laser printer that's dependable, that costs less than $200, that connects by Wi-Fi, that will copy and scan, and also prints fast, and has cheap, uh, you know, cheap, um, you know, um, cartridges for the uh, for the laser jet? Well, um, Brian, the brother MFCL 2710DW monochrome all-in-one laser printer meets all your criteria. So just look up brother monochrome all-in-one laser printer, and you'll probably find that MC, MFCL 2750. Now, that's around $200. Now, that laser printer is dependable. The Brother Printers the, won the PC Mag Reader's Choice Award for the last 11 years. So it's, it's really, um, they really have good products. It prints fast, 32, minute, 32 pages a minute. It has... Wi-Fi connection, it's got wired Ethernet, and it's got USB. In addition, it will also copy and scan existing documents. It has a, uh, a 50-sheet automatic paper feed, or you can get a 250-sheet paper tray if you want. It supports wireless Wi-Fi printing for mobile devices, which means it you know, supports AirPlay. It comes with free life support for the printer, and you can choose between two toner cartridges, which are really quite reasonably priced. The TN760 will print up to 3,000 pages. That's a lot more you can get out of an inkjet. The TN730 will print up to 1,200 pages. So this meets all your needs, and it will be a lot cheaper. And the nice thing about uh, laser jets is that the ink cartridge doesn't dry up over time if you don't use it a lot. So it's probably not a bad idea to switch to that laser jet. But, of course, you're giving up color. We got an email from Peter in Fairfax. Dear Tech Doc, I was wondering whether law enforcement can really track down somebody with their IP address. Now, I'm not doing anything wrong. Oh, no. <laughs> ah, no. Not at all. I just like my <laughs> privacy from Big Brother. Uh, Peter in Fairfax. Well, Peter, here's the sad <laughs> news. The Internet is not anonymous. It, Wherever it you go, nah, it doesn't lie. Wherever you go, you leave breadcrumbs. You <laughs> breadcrumbs everywhere. Uh, actually, they're more like bit crumbs. Bit, mm-hmm. They're actually data crumbs. You leave data crumbs everywhere. Now, and some of these data crumbs are bigger than others, but your biggest data crumb is your IP address. And it isn't difficult for law enforcement officers to tie your IP address to a particular computer. In fact, in fact, your computer. Now, the IP address basically identifies a computer on the network. It, it's, it's basically your address on the network, and all traffic is routed to that Internet protocol address. It's either IPv4 or IPv6. The IPv4 addresses are 32 bits long. The IPv6 addresses are 128 bits long. And uh, it's, it's a unique number. And so if you go to a website like um, Facebook or Dropbox and do something illegal, they'll have a record of your IP address. Now, IP addresses are actually assigned to you by your internet service provider. 
And typically at home, you don't have a fixed IP address. It's a dynamic IP address, which means every few days your IP address may change. So they can't really, with the IP address, immediately tell your computer. What they have to do is they go to the uh, data, they go to the registry, and they'll take that IP address and they'll look up on the registry of IP addresses who has the block of IP addresses that contains your IP address. And that will tell them which internet service provider you're dealing with. And as it turns out, the internet service providers keep a log. So they're going to say, well, who was using this IP address last Tuesday at 8 o'clock? Now, they'll go to the log, and they'll be able to identify your computer as a computer that was having that had that IP address at that time. Now, in order for the police to get that data, though, they have to have a subpoena, which means, which means just not every Tom, Dick, and Harry can get it. They need probable but, cause. And they need probable cause that something's happening. So there are some legal hoops, but they can easily get it. And, um, and you're really not actually that secure in terms of anonymous, being anonymous. Now, some people, if they really want to be secure, they'll use a, v a VPN, virtual private network, and they'll log on to the Internet with a VPN. And then the IP address that, say, the Facebook site sees is the address of the, of the VPN. Now, VPN providers also keep logs. And if the VPN provider is in the United States, it is possible that they could actually track you down. So if you really want to be anonymous... There's something called the TOR, the onion router, T-O-R, that was developed by NRL, mm -hmm. where, you, where you go from one VPN to another VPN to another VPN to another VPN. You go from one proxy server to another proxy, and you actually go through about 10 proxy servers, and it makes it much more difficult to track you down. And so the onion router, the TOR, if you really want to be anonymous, is probably your best way to do that. But given enough you know, cyber horsepower, they could still probably track you down. Listen, we love your email. We do. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. Oh, wait, Doc. We have somebody on the phone. Can we take a phone call real quick here? Sure. <laughs> hey, Mike and Marilyn. I heard your email last week, and <laughs> I'm single and I'm available, big boy. Wow. There you go. Whoa. Mrs. Whoa. Big Voice. You asked for Mrs. Big Voice. You get Mrs. Oh Big Voice. My, she, oh, my goodness. And uh, <laughs> I think we should insert Carl's name instead of Mike. Because yes. Carl was the one that asked about her. So there oh, you go. Carl was the one that asked for it. Okay. All right. There you go. It's Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio <laughs> on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2, and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. Learn more about the program and learn more about the uh, classes at Stratford University by going to stratford.edu. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment.
In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. Doc, I got it. Instead of the oh. instead of the virtual faculty lounge, maybe becomes the IT bunker when you come back. Okay, maybe that's it. All or right, maybe very not. good. You don't, you sound less we'll, than enthused. We'll think about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, continue on. Today we're going to feature William Daniel Hillis. He was suggested by Bob in Maryland the email today. Now his nickname is Danny, by the way, but his parents called him William Daniel. William Daniel Hillis pioneered parallel computers and their use with artificial intelligence. He's best known as creator of the Thinking Machine. And he started a company called the Thinking Machine Corporation to produce these parallel supercomputers. And they have used that for many, many applications. Now, Danny Hillis was born September 25th, 1956 in Baltimore, Maryland. He's a local boy. But he spent much of his childhood traveling around Europe and Africa and Asia. He attended MIT, uh, and he received a Bachelor of Science in Mathematics in 1978. Uh, while he was at MIT, as an undergraduate, he worked in the MIT Logo Laboratory, and he developed computer hardware and software for children. There was a, there was a language called Logo, which was for uh, a programming language for children. While he was an undergraduate at MIT, he founded a company called Terrapin, which produced computer software for children, including Logo, including that, the Logo programming that's language. That's an odd name, I would think, because Terrapin is slow, and you would want your, your computer program to be fast, wouldn't you? Yeah, you would be. Uh, I, well, maybe, I don't know where that name came from, actually. Terrapin. Yeah. How about doesn't, we uh, send that over to the research department? Uh, you could, you could, you do a little research on that. All right. Now, when he became a graduate student, uh, he worked at the MIT Computer Science and Artificial Intelligence, an artificial intelligence lab. They call that Science and Artificial Intelligence. They call that SAIL, S-A-I-L. And uh, he worked in that lab, and he developed a robot arms which were controlled with tendons. He could. He designed tendon-controlled robot arms. He developing new mechanisms for, for controlling the robot arms. He also created a touch-sensitive robot skin because he was very interested in robots at the time. Now, he was part of a team 
that built a very special computer at uh, while well, he was at MIT. And the computer was made entirely of Tinker Toys. It was a Tinker Toy computer. <laughs> now, How did it I work? went... I went and I went and looked at this and you've, you know, you've got the, you've got those round discs and you can put this, the spokes in them. And basically, um, it was, well, I, it, it was a mechanical computer that, uh, that worked with Tinker Toys and, and, uh, it, it had like 1400 Tinker Toys in it and you and it would play a game of tic-tac-toe. So if you, uh, and it would always win. Would always, of course, tic tac toe is uh, normally it, it would go to a tie, but if it could make the first move, it would always be a win. And at worst, if you made the first move, it would be a tie. It never lost. Now, in order to get the initial settings for the Tinker Toy computer, they had a PDP 11 computer which would do the calculations and they could set it all up. So I went and looked at this Tinker Toy computer because now it's stored in the Computer History Museum. It's really quite interesting. It's got, uh, you know, it's got fishing line in it to keep, keep the things going. And so I could see how this thing would work. I, I you know, I brought in a little mechanical, mechanical computer to the uh, show once, and it was just cardboard, actually, and it, it did some very simple things. But it was kind of clever, and you could really learn how computers work by this Tinker Toy computer. Um, and he was really quite proud of that little project. So if you you can just Google Tinker Toy Computer and you and you go to the uh, com Computer History Museum and see all the pictures of it, and they'll, they'll talk about it. Um, at MIT, he studied artificial intelligence other under the under the godfather of AI, Marvin Minsky. Now, in 1981, he proposed building a massively parallel computer for AI, consisting of a million graphic graphical processing units. He was trying, he was trying to sort of step into this whole thing of artificial neural network processing, and that's all done in parallel. So he ended up, while he was at MIT, designing a, a parallel computer with 64,000 processors. Well, and at MIT, he called it the connection machine. And that became the topic of his PhD thesis. So he got his PhD because he built and analyzed the connection machine. In 1988, he earned a doctorate from MIT under the supervision, get this, of Marvin Minsky, you know, the father of, um, of AI, Claude Shannon, the father of signal processing and uh, noise processing, and Gerald Sussman. I mean, he had, you know, he had the, the kings on his, um, on his, uh, uh, on his, on his uh, dissertation committee. As a graduate student at MIT, he said, you know, this uh, thinking machine looks like a real possibility to make money. So he co-founded the Thinking Machine Corporation to produce and market parallel computers. And they developed a, a series of influential products, which, of course, the first one would be the connection machine. And uh, he... Uh, this was used in very demanding... Uh, computationally and data intensive applications. He worked closely with users uh, in, in applying this machine to problems and they applied it to problems in astrophysics, aircraft design, financial analysis, genetics, computer graphics, medical imaging, image understanding, neurobiology and material science. He applied it to a host of applications and it was the fastest computer on the block at the time. In 1996, 
This is an unexpected uh, career turn. He joined the Walt Disney Company. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. That's an unexpected. And he and he was uh, and he was deemed a Disney fellow. And he developed new technologies and business strategies for Disney's theme parks, television and motion pictures, and consumer products. He started designing new theme park rides. <laughs> He made a full-sized walking dinosaur because, you know, he was, he was working on, you know, robots when he was at the um, AI lab back at mm -hmm. MIT. And he worked on various micro-mechanical devices. I mean, the guy just liked to invent stuff. Yeah. In 2000, he co-founded an R&D think tank called Applied Minds with his Disney colleague, Brand Farron. Applied Minds put together teams of engineers, scientists, and designers to provide design and technology services for clients. So the work that they did for firms applied to a number of agencies, including satellite development, helicopters, educational facilities. So essentially, he took the methodology that he developed at Disney to create these massive rides, and he applied it, you know, to other, other areas. The guy was just super creative. While at Applied Minds, Hillis designed and built a large-scale data center for microsystems. And this data center would fit in a 20-foot 20 20 shipping container. Now, in order to do that, he had to solve, among other problems, accommodating processor capacity, cooling, power requirements, and storage within a uniquely, within a particular device that was portable. It turns out, this concept of data center in a box became a common method for building large data centers later on. So he, he, he actually innovated, you know, data center design uh -huh. while he, at that company. Then for uh, Herman Miller, which is a, a furniture manufacturer, he designed an audio privacy solution based on phonetic jumbling. What they would do, you would sit in a space and they would create background noise so you could not hear anything around you or people could not hear what you were saying. And they called it the cone of silence. <laughs> I thought that was from Get Smart. <laughs> yeah. So he so he, he worked on that. I mean, the guy actually, he was really a renaissance man. He was in so many different areas. In 2005, Hillis and others from Applied Minds founded another company, MetaWeb Technologies. Developed to develop semantic data storage infrastructure for the internet. So the idea with semantic data is that you try to classify data in a way and group data, you know, in, in, so that it's easier to understand. And so there were many semantic data storage methods. So he started working on that, and that was all the rage back then. Eventually, that company was acquired by Google, and it was used for Google's knowledge graph when they were trying to graph knowledge that they, that they, you know, extracted from the web. In 2012, Hillis helped create a research program on cancer and proteomics. Pro proteomics. What do you think? Proteomics. I think you're close. I think. Close enough for Saturday morning. So pro proteomics, <laughs> I don't think I'm pronouncing that right. Th those are basically large... Yeah, proteomics. I think proteomics is the way. Yeah, that it's basically large 
large collections of protein molecules that do functional things in the body. Say like the liver would be a large collect, would be a proteum, which is, and so how do you, how do you understand large um, protein organs or large protein structures that are, that are in the body? That's really what this was about. And they wanted, and they wanted to analyze this using supercomputers. So using, so based on his work there, he co-founded a company called Applied Proteomics with David Agus, and they made proteomics-based biomarkers, and they made them practical. And and those these bio and this and they developed the first biomarker which could test for early stage colon cancer. Huh. I mean, it was really quite. And now that company he's ended up selling to Discern DX in 2018 for eight point for 1.85 uh, million dollars. I ben, wonder if this uh, is uh, um, something that's used. You know, there's a, there's a, uh, a a device that's used or a test kit that's used for people who don't have colon cancer in their family. And, uh, you know, when you get to be that age when they have to test you for that, instead of going mm-hmm. and doing the colonoscopy, they'll give you this kit. And it's called ColoGuard. I wonder if that had yeah. anything to do with this. It could be that because that would be the same function because this, right. this is – but this is – but ColoGuard – you basically send in a sample. This right. is a blood test. Oh, this okay. is a blood test. Yeah. This one is a blood test. That's a little bit different. Now, in 2015, he co-founded another company called Applied Inventions. It was an interdisciplinary group of engineers and scientists and artists. And Applied Inventions is a partner and co-owner of the Dark Sky Company, which is the, which does weather forecasting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, um, you know, and it's uh, really it's it's it, weather forecasting. And it's got computer, com, uh, consumer web services, mobile applications, as well as weather data services. And all of this is, you know, based on massively parallel processing of data in order to predict things. Now, Hillis is a member of the National Academy of Engineering, a fellow uh, in the Association for com- Computing Machinery, a fellow of the International Leadership Forum, and a fellow in the Academy of Arts and Sciences. This guy is a real renaissance man, and just not purely IT. It was really a quite, quite impressive technical career that he had. And there's everything you'd want to know about William Daniel Hill. It's Saturday morning, and if you are uh, paying attention, you may have a chance to win free prizes by playing the pop quiz, which we're going to do coming right up here on Tech Talk Radio. Heard on Federal News Network. 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2, and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. Stand by. Be right back. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford 
Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Russ, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you. I just love this virtual audience. They and, are just so enthusiastic. And they are appropriately distanced. I make sure of that every Saturday. And the nice thing is when they do They're it remotely. They're six states they, apart, by the way. They don't have to wear masks. That's the good thing. That's great. Exactly. So exactly. I can hear their cheering in the full force. Exactly. And now, of course, this is not merely a radio show. This no. is a classroom of the airways. And so we have to decide whether the class has been listening. We do that with a pop quiz. If you get the right answer to the pop quiz, you'll get an A-plus for today's show, plus two tickets to fine dining when our restaurants finally open at our Stratford campuses. Earlier in the show, I talked about William Daniel Hillis. He, of course, is a pioneer in parallel computers and their use in AI. He's best known for co-founding the Thinking Machines Corporation. Now, when he was at MIT, he made a computer, which is now, he and a, he and a team made a computer that's now at the uh, Computer History Museum. What was that computer made out of? All right, here's the answer. Coming if up. you know the answer to today's question, Wash your hands, put on your mask, pick up your device, give us a call, wash your hands. If you're dialing from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. If you're standing next to a mountain of empty oyster shells in Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're building a computer out of Tinker Toys in Canada, but wish you were in Baltimore, Juan, it's 877-936-39333. Anyone else, anywhere else, may call us on the international line. It's wearing a mask. 877-936-39-333. Now, once again, here's Dr. Richard Schertz. Oh, he's wound up today. He certainly is, but mm -hmm. I think we'll I think we'll survive. Yeah. Uh, we got, let's talk about the app of the week. This yeah. is the Microsoft File Recovery Tool. Now, they've released this to help users who've lost files on their computer that are now irretrievable. It could be because uh, they didn't go into the recycle bin or because the drive suffered sort of some sort of huge hardware failure. Now, it's a command line tool, and, uh, and it only works with the command prompt. Of course, that's, you, know, you can bring that up by typing in cmd.exe or, uh, or the new Windows terminal. It's a free download for all users. And now, as it recovers files, it will transfer the files to an external separate hard drive. So you either have to have a, hard, a USB hard drive plugged into your computer 
or you've got to have a USB uh, um, thumb drive plugged into the computer, and it will recover the files that were lost and transfer them there. It's a nice tool. I'm glad that uh, that Microsoft is trying to help out their users with that. There are many third-party tools that can do this, but this is free, so why not give it a try? Right. Now, the, the China Great Firewall, the Chinese Great Firewall has descended on Hong Kong. And it's, uh, you know, they're, they're gradually trying to restrict access to information in Hong Kong, and they're trying to implement what they have in, the, in mainland China. Now, first of all, they are expanding police power. And now they, um, they're now monitoring all social media. And uh, the Hong Kong government has enabled police to censor online speech and to force Internet service providers to hand over information and shut down anybody who's talking on social media in a way which offends the government. Mm. Now, many residents have rushed to erase their digital footprint because they don't they don't want to get pulled in by the by the uh, by the authorities. Right. And, uh, you know, especially if they revealed that they were part of the protests. Now, they're gradually trying to eliminate personal freedom and, you know, the same way they did in mainland China. So if you say something wrong, they'll request the service provider to give your IP, to give them your IP address or a mobile number so they can grab you. Uh, now, experts point out that the actual firewall, which allows government to inspect data um, uh, packets and to block certain IP addresses, cannot be immediately replicated in Hong Kong because there are several private internet service providers and internet exchanges that are running the internet in Hong Kong. It would take several years to actually implement the full Chinese firewall that they have in China. I mean, I remember I, in China, I, I tested that. I, once I did a live radio show from China, mm -hmm. a hotel room in China, and I tried to, and I tried to go to a banned site, which would be like... Didn't we try to do that? Wasn't it, was I was it in, you, was it you and me that were trying to do that? I was here and you were there. Yeah, I was in China, yeah. and then it was. Uh, so what I did I initially, you know, say Wikipedia might be blocked. I, I can't remember what I was blocking. So then I went to um, a proxy server. I, I went to a pro, I said I went to a proxy server in another country, say Norway, mm -hmm. and I logged into the proxy server with an unencrypted data stream. I just used the proxy server, and with that. Since that proxy server was not blocked by the Chinese firewall, I could actually get out and I could reach Wikipedia. But I used an unencrypted data stream. It turns out that in the great Chinese firewall, they track the data that's in the packets. And within about 90 seconds, they blocked me. Wow. So then... I went to another proxy server and I set up an encrypted data stream, basically a VPN, and I was able to carry on the show for the, uh, you know, carry on, and I was able to to have that access for the mm -hmm. rest of the show. And I did that from a hotel room in Beijing. And I do remember and, being on the other other end of that mess and yeah, trying to and fill time while you figured it out. That's right. And so then I could also I could also go through and I could hop. I could basically, uh, I could basically send a, a, a uh, I could ping the network and I could actually trace the network as it was going out of the country. And I could locate which node the firewall was located on because there would be a big latency there. And so I could basically look at all the nodes as my packets were hopping out of China and I could, 
and I could see exactly where the, the node that had the big firewall because there was a big latency as they analyzed mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. So that was that was really quite uh, quite interesting. Uh, you know, that trip, I also went there and bought software. So I walked into the software market, and they the and they said, <laughs> "Yeah, there's a software market there, you know, and you know they got the, they got the, they got the fish market." Can you get you bats know. there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that fortunate, you know, you're you're not going to get coronavirus in the software market. Yeah, and 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 as you enter the software market, there's this big sign across the door that says "Down with Copyright Violations." Of course, China just copies yeah, everything. Right, of course. So I went in there. I had a, a friend of mine was from China, so I walk up as an American, and you know, they've got all the retail rank software. So this is my friend. Talk to them. And uh, and then they pulled out stuff from underneath, and I I got a copy of Microsoft Windows for like a dollar and a half. Wow! Got a copy of Adobe. All this expensive software, like for a dollar and a half, two dollars, mm -hmm. which of course would be illegal to bring back to the United States. Right. But I was not going to use it. I was going to test it. So I um, put it in the bottom of my suitcase, and I just hoped they wouldn't catch me at the border. I brought it back. <laughs> you could and have been in a I, Chinese prison. Yeah, and then I and then I uh, I got because uh, there could have been malware on this thing. So then I got a, a test machine, and I installed the software, and actually, it said that was uh, they actually had had a way to number the license, and it said it was a a, a legitimate product, because it apparently found a way to spoof the uh, the the licensing number. So I installed oh. all the software and I ran it. And uh, it was it was um, you know it was it was interesting. Then I I didn't really use it because but I, it was kind of so you can actually get this pirated software. I suppose eventually they will disable the like if they sell the same license number to a thousand people. I mean eventually Microsoft is going to say, hey wait a minute here, that's uh, that's that license number is used too many times and right. then they'll disallow it. But but I got a successful install, so you know, and I bought it from the market to sit down with software privacy. So, so that was. My, let me ask you a yeah. question: What constitutes a test computer? Is that just a piece of junk that you don't care if it blows up? Yeah, I know. I just I just <clears throat> put a clean. I I I got one of uh, one of our old computers put mm -hmm. on a clean operating system, disconnected it from the internet, was connected to nothing at Stratford. And the goal, because this could have had easily had malware on it, right. and the idea was that I would install this software and when I'm finished it I'll just you know just destroy it just right. destroy that and reformat it so I didn't connect it to anything in our network because I had no idea what was on these CDs right. okay but it was uh, but it was an interesting experiment and I did enjoy I did enjoy penetrating the great firewall of China very good all right we've got somebody who'd like to play the quiz let's go okay. to uh, line two this is Lewis calling us in Rockville good morning Lewis how are you good morning uh, okay, good morning. Doc, ask the question. So William Daniel Hillis, of course, is uh, is best known as the creator of the Thinking Machines Corporation. But when he's at MIT, he made a kind of mechanical computer. What was that mechanical computer made from? Made out of Tinker Toys. That is the correct, correct. answer. Excellent. Correct. Hang on a second here. We're going to send you back to Andrew Lewis, and he'll take your information, and we'll send the prize back out to you. It is Saturday morning, and you're listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Network, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2, and in Loudoun County on 104.5 FM. Learn more about the programs at Stratford University by going to Stratford, uh, uh, stratford.edu or check it out here on federalnewsnetwork.com.
If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has seasoned IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Go to stratford.edu slash cybersecurity today. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Doc, you have to bear with me for a second here. I need to find the open to what we're going to do here next. It's, uh, it's buried. I think I've got it on the desktop. See, this is what happens when you're off for a week. You forget where things are. All right, here we go. Stand by. Observations from the bunker. There you go. You need a build-up, Doc. Observations from the bunker. This time we're going to talk about Bill Gates, what Bill Gates believes are the critical skills for the future. Gates stressed the importance to students when he talks to them at uh, graduation ceremonies, the importance of having a curiosity as a framework for acquiring knowledge. He encouraged students to, per to pursue all kinds of different sources of knowledge, history, science, economics, and he thinks these become particularly important for the future. He said you need a growth mindset. And you need to stay curious. Now, a growth mindset means that you're not afraid to try things you've never tried before, and you're going to seek out new things and give it a shot. And it's important to continue to learn and to be curious, because he says people who have that ability are going to succeed in the future. Now, Gates dropped out of Harvard in 1975 and started Microsoft, but he said he was so hungry for knowledge that he took all sorts of extra classes just because they sounded fun and interesting. Steve Jobs did that same thing, too, you know, taking all kinds of classes, too, uh, before he started Apple. Now, Gates has, an incure, has an, a huge curiosity and appetite for knowledge, and he just loves to learn new things. In an interview with the New York Times, Gates said that he reads up to 50 books a year. And curiosity is the key to the learning process. But he said it also leads to overall life satisfaction if you're curious. Uh, research suggests that curious people have better relationships, connect better, enjoy socializing more because they have interesting things to talk about. And they're interesting to talk to 
because they're talking about things other than themselves. They're talking about deep ideas. In fact, other people are more easily attracted to people that are curious, and they feel more socially connected to individuals who display curiosity. So Bill Gates believes you have to not fear failure, you have to have a growth mindset, push the envelope, and always be curious, and you will be prepared for the future. That's uh, great words of wisdom from Bill Gates in it, the bunker. It is indeed. I am beginning to really like this feature, yeah. Doc. Now we got, uh, let's talk about Elon Musk. Now he's always super optimistic and, you know, making claims that really aren't possible, but, you know, but, but if you don't strive for the moon, you'll never get there. So Elon Musk has announced that Tesla will have a fully autonomous car by the end of 2020. He said he's extremely confident that he'll have level five performance and it will happen very quickly. Now, if you have a level five performing autonomous vehicle, it means, you, it means the driver doesn't have to touch anything. You can just sit in the car and drive and, you know, watch a movie and the car will drive you wherever it has to go. Now, that's quite a tall chore to make a level five autonomous vehicle. Now, of course, Musk said the same thing in 2018, that he would have it by the end of 2018. But then he didn't have it. And now he said he'll have it by the end of 2020. The complexity of autonomy of self-driving technology is really challenging because you can't predict what the people around you are going to do. And you've got to, you've got to predict what, what pedestrians are doing, what animals are doing. It's, it's a complicated image processing problem. Uh, now, Tesla believes he already has partial autonomy for his cars. And, um, you know, you know, and I, I've driven, a, a, I, I've been out to California, I've got friends that have Tesla, and you do have partial autonomy, it will stay in the lane and, and track, I mean, I know people on the freeway, they just let the car drive itself, but it's not fully autonomous. I mean, once you get into the city, you, you've got to take over the wheel. I'm sorry, and I like driving a car. I mean, even even on the, I mean, there was one case where even the lane following, there was a, a particular kind of uh, um, railing on on the road that fooled the autonomous vehicle and yeah. it, and it crashed. So so there are, there are still issues. But in order for us to have full autonomous operation, there are going to be a lot of legal and regulatory hurdles because basically you are programming into the software who's going to die first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're right. It's you're absolutely right. I mean, it's it's an issue. So so if the car is speeding out, do you hit five pedestrians or do you hit another car? Right. Uh, or do you or do you self-destruct and kill yourself mm -hmm. and, and save five pedestrians? And so there are that's programmed into the software and you're subject to, uh, you know, to, to, to court cases. Now, Tesla is competing with other people that are trying to make fully autonomous cars. Waymo, which is a subsidiary of Google. Uh, I, I guess of um, Alphabet, a, 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 right. it's a subsidiary of Alphabet. As Google's then now known, yeah. As Google's now known. And then there's a, the Uber's trying to do it, and they stole a lot of the technology from Waymo. And then you got the traditional automakers are trying to do it. Because actually, if we get a fully autonomous vehicle, it's going to totally change uh, automobile transportation as we know it. And it may just completely eliminate owning an automobile. 
you just basically, you want to go somewhere, you'll just pull up your cell phone, say what you want to do, and a car will come pick you up and take you there autonomously. So why, why own a car? Because right now, people have cars, and they sit in the garage most of the time doing nothing. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not very cost-effective the way we do it now. And so uh, if we get fully autonomous vehicles in operation, it's going to transform automobile ownership. It is going to transform, uh, actually, life for older people. You know, a lot of people can't drive a car when they, when they, they, they lose their driver's license if they get too old. Right. All of a sudden, the elderly can go anywhere. So it's, it's going to be transformative if we can get there. So I think it will eventually get there. I don't think we're going to get there in 2020, though. I think no. I think Elon is just a little optimistic yet again. <laughs> now, companies are using cyber vetting to screen new employees. Yeah. Now, they're increasingly using social media to screen potential employees. Now, due to the increased use of social media around the globe, Many, many hiring managers find that they can get a pretty good idea of what a person's like by looking at their social media accounts. So they use it to check out potential employees to see whether they are professional, to see whether they're trustworthy, to see whether they have any negative attributes by getting into squabbles on social media and determine whether they whether they've posted any problematic content on the Internet in order to assess the fit. Now, potential employees are not really comfortable with this practice. They don't like their social media accounts being used. uh, And there's a lot of backlash against it. But you really can't stop it because it's public. And we already know if you put it on social media, it never dies. Even if you delete it, it's still going to be somewhere. What have we told you for years? Once you put it out there, you can't bring it It, back. You can't bring it back. You can't bring that fish back to the boat. You can't really bring it back because because somebody could like repost what you've posted and it has a life of its own. Yep. So even though you've deleted it from your account, it's somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So uh, and so you really want to be certain and careful about what you post to social media. And this company did a lot of surveys and actually employees were upset that their social media accounts were being used and being scrutinized. But I don't think there's anything they can do about it. I do believe that companies should reveal that they're doing that yeah i think that's very important listen we love 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 your emails email us at tech talk at stratford.edu and we'll get back to you as soon as we can we'd also like you to go to the stratford university website www.stratford.edu check out our programs in software engineering cybersecurity, hospitality culinary arts nursing business accounting uh culinary arts and tell them that you heard about those programs on tech Talk radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1 800 444 0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online.